Welcome. I'm Melissa Durda, and this is Scenergo's Cultivate the Soul podcast. Stories of purpose-driven philanthropy from around the world. Over this series, we explore together the intersection of contemplative practices, spirituality, philanthropy, and social impact. Join us as we dive into the personal journey of each guest and what they have discovered about the role of inner work on one's capacity to change the world. To learn more about each of our guests and view our full episode list, please visit synergos.org slash podcast. Hi, I'm Catherine Lorenz. I'm president of the Cynthia and George Mitchell Foundation, and I cultivate my soul by reconnecting to the communities and the people I worked with throughout my 20s in Oaxaca, Mexico. Today we are joined by Catherine Lorenz, president of the Cynthia and George Mitchell Foundation, a grant-making foundation focusing on environmental sustainability in Texas. She is the leader of the Next Gen of the Giving Pledge, and Insight Philanthropy recently named Miss Lorenz as one of the most powerful heirs in philanthropy. Catherine's full bio is available on our podcast website. So Catherine, welcome to the podcast. So happy to have you here. Yeah, really happy to be here. I'd like to get us started by asking you to share a memory from your childhood that may help us understand your earliest exposure to what matters in the world and how that shaped you. When I was younger, always at Christmas time, we would adopt families. And normally this meant these were families that were not able to provide the types of presents they wanted and the kind of Christmases they wanted for their children. And I believe my parents always tried to find families with children our age or something similar that we could connect with. And I really recall one Christmas visiting the home of a young mother who was wanting to provide a better Christmas for her children. And so we were taking them presents and This one impacted me particularly, I think, because I was at an age where I could understand how different their lives were and where I really recognized what we were giving them was making a meaningful impact on their holiday. I recall it was cold and they didn't have heat. I recall that they had no furniture and just had a mattress on the ground in their living room. And I really remember the young mother looking to me and saying, whatever you do, don't get pregnant until you're ready. And there was just a whole world of difference in her life and my life. And that was one of the first times it really impacted me how privileged I was and how many families and many people are not born into the same sort of privilege. Yeah, thank you for sharing that story. Well, I remember, I think it was at least or around 16 years ago, I visited you in Mexico to see a nonprofit organization that you started there. Can you tell us about that nonprofit, the work there, and how you got there? How did you start this work that I imagine kind of sparked this career that you now have in global philanthropy and impact? I think like many, I started a nonprofit thinking that I would spend my life working in the communities and with the people that I loved working with. And like many, learned quickly that running a nonprofit means a lot more behind the scenes work to make it actually work. But what inspired me to start was I was working with a volunteer group in Oaxaca, Mexico, 
supervising volunteers who were living in the rural villages. And while I was there, I met a group of students who were working on another project related to um, nutrition and health. And so I teamed up with one of those students who was there for the summer, and we returned to live full-time in Oaxaca and work in the villages. And the focus was around child and maternal health in primarily looking at nutrition. So at that time, about 40% of rural Oaxacan children were chronically undernourished. And we were looking at more sustainable ways, not just food supplements and government subsidies, but rather healthier nutritional practices that could help children and mothers and pregnant mothers and and children at risk for malnutrition to have better health and better nutrition, not just once they've reached malnutrition or those chronic malnourished status, but rather kind of throughout the year, constantly having better food. We came to focus primarily on one grain called amaranth, which is very high in protein and showed remarkable impact on children nutritional status, but then soon came to realize most of these families were subsistence farming families. And if you want to change what they're eating, you also need to change what they're growing. So soon evolved into working in gardens and later in larger fields, working with farmers to get them to grow amaranth and focusing both on agriculture and nutrition using amaranth as one of the ways to improve economic opportunity and improve health, but also as a way and a vehicle to teach about everything from organic farming practices to more holistic nutritional practices. And remind me what the name of that nonprofit is, because it's still around today. It is. Almost 20 years later, it is called Puente a la Salud Comunitaria, which means bridge to community health. And the work over these nearly 20 years has evolved a lot, like I said, originally focusing on maternal health, moving into agriculture, and now looking a lot more holistically at what it means to be a healthy community, food sovereignty, how to have choice in what you're eating and what you're growing, and to focus on what is local and nutritional and not just on what you can make money from. So a big focus is also around keeping the community values around food and not just growing things to sell them to then buy more processed foods, which is what a lot of programs end up focusing on. So you mentioned in your introduction that the way you cultivate your soul is through your connection with these communities in Oaxaca. Can you share a story of perhaps one person there who particularly inspires you? I don't know that there's one person because there are so many, I'd say one profile, which are the mothers in Oaxaca, because we were focusing primarily on maternal health, especially in the early days, I got to know many mothers living and working in rural Oaxaca. And these were mostly farming families. And so the burden on the women was so incredible. And I don't think I could fully appreciate what that was until I saw it in action But seeing so many of the women with many, many children, always with a child tied to their back or in the in the scarf around their back, not even having an ergo baby like we are lucky enough to have in the developed world, but, you know, a makeshift ergo baby of sorts and out working in the fields as soon as they could after childbirth. And doing so much in the family, you know, I think like women around the whole world, women often have much of the burden of taking care of the family. But I saw that so acutely and the mothers we worked with. 
And just seeing the the weight of the world on their shoulders, trying to provide for their children, trying to create a better life for their children up against so many barriers to that success, everything from droughts and storms and whatnot that would impact their ability to feed their children, all the way to just the reality of not having much income or whatever the challenges were. Many of these women that we worked with had husbands who would migrate to the U.S., some of whom would send money home, but many of whom were never to be seen again, either because they lost their lives in the battle to get to the U.S. or they got there and kind of left their family behind. So many of these moms were single moms trying to figure out how to provide for their children. And so I think those women, and I knew many of them, were the most inspiring to me. And I think partially because I knew their stories personally, I knew some of these women individually, but also because that was such a world that was so far away from the world I grew up in. Yet, the reality is that more people live with that reality than with my reality. And so I think I often hold them dear to my heart, both because of their individual stories, but then as a representation of that is actually the struggle for most people throughout the world. And those of us who are born into privilege owe it to the rest of the world to help try and make that battle a little easier. So let's fast forward a bit to where you are today as the leader of your family foundation, the Cynthia and George Mitchell Foundation, and also the role that you play at the Giving Pledge. I know I'm aware a little bit of your journey that you have also worked at a variety of institutional philanthropy organizations and leadership roles there. Tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing now and what you're most excited about. So when I was working with the farmers in Mexico, it became abundantly clear how climate change was impacting their livelihoods on a very, very real daily basis. So one year, the floods would be so extreme that the fields would wash away. And the next year, the drought would be so extreme that they couldn't cultivate crops. And I remember very cutely one day talking to a farmer, I think he was about on his third round, so third year in a row of just having the weather wipe out his crops and thinking to myself, I can work all day with these farmers, but if we don't fix climate change, this farmer and every farmer like him is going to have a very real impact on the health and well-being of his family. And climate change is kind of an upstream root of one of these really critical problems in the world. And that coincided with the time that I was getting involved with my family foundation and the environmental field was a real focus of the foundation. And in particular, in the early days, climate and energy issues was where we were beginning to focus. And so it started to dawn on me that if I wanted to work at a more systemic change level, to help farmers like the one I was working with, that I should move upstream and be focusing more on climate change. And that led me to then later pursue what, working for my family foundation. Climate change is one of the areas we work in, but we work across the environmental spectrum because all of that story for that farmer is replicated in farmers throughout Texas, farmers throughout the U.S., everyone who's being impacted by climate change. I think if there's any issue you care about, the environment and climate change is an important piece of it because it will be exacerbated almost certainly by the challenges the environment is facing. 
but not just climate change. So water issues clearly really impacting farmers, land issues, land conservation. So all of the environmental issues came to be important to me, I think, by seeing the real world stories of real individual farmers who were being so impacted by them. So I spent about 10 years running our family foundation, trying to build it up from my grandparents still being alive. Although when I had begun, my grandmother had passed away, but my grandfather was still alive. Trying to think about and work with him around what he wanted for this foundation that they would leave behind in their will, primarily the, a large bequest in their will. And then working with the broader family to help shape that legacy that we wanted to help carry out on their behalf. So obviously the programmatic areas, the environment, and some of the local work was hugely important. But I also recognized how as a family foundation, there's a massive family component. This is the thing that brings our family together. It is something that we are hoping to do together. And that part of the legacy is indeed to carry out that programmatic legacy, but together as a family. I've started to really understand the intersection of the programmatic impact component and the family impact component and how often those go hand in hand, but often they do not. And so how to navigate those challenges of thinking of the dual mission of a family foundation, the family component and the impact component is an area I've become really passionate about for our own family, but also as others navigate this, because as I've always said, you can have the greatest program team and the greatest strategies possible, but if the family can't agree that's the direction to go in, then you won't actually be able to carry it out and vice versa. You can have an amazing family experience working together in philanthropy but possibly have little to no impact if you're not really thinking about the impact component. So those are the areas that have started to really make me passionate, especially after my grandparents both passed away. Um, now the third generation getting more involved. We've got the second and third generation involved in our family foundation. And then of course, sustainability and climate change continue to be a really massive challenge. And we focus in Texas. Texas has a lot of challenges in this area because many of the elected officials are not as deeply invested in creating positive change for the environment. A lot of the policies are not aligned to help Texas be more sustainable. It is one of the largest, it is the largest carbon emissions emitter in the U.S., and if we don't get Texas right, then we won't get the U.S. goals to be met for climate change. So there's a lot of interest for me in helping Texas get it right and helping it be a place where our family can work together to help make those impacts. Because in reality, that is the legacy that my grandparents wanted and that we're trying to carry out. Yeah, I know you have a big family. So on top of it, you have a larger number of people that you need to get coordinated in this work that you're doing. But I really like how you are framing this strategy as kind of multi-pronged that the family and the work that you do need to be aligned to have the greatest impact. You mentioned the next gen of the Giving Pledge, and that community has been a really important community for me, primarily because all of us, our unique challenges are unique. There is a theme, which is for the most part, most of us are carrying out someone else's philanthropic pledge. And it is a really unique position to be in where your entire work is actually carrying out someone else's legacy. And it's also a unique community where we are all 
thinking about this and trying to do our best while also trying to create our own personal journey and identity within, both within and outside of that legacy. And also the scale is quite large. It's wonderful to do this in community, to, you know, share ideas and share, you know, what's working and what's not. But in particular, that path of how do I know who I am while also carrying out someone else's legacy and doing the best I can to carry that out, but not just being known for being someone's child or grandchild, you know, having my own identity, my own skill set, my own passions within a career that is focused on someone else's legacy. Mm -hmm. As you know, that's a key element to Synergos, kind of the inner work for outer action. And that's a really important kind of element that you named as our identities or who we show up as in the work that we're doing. So tell me a little bit more about how you're going about doing that. How do you get kind of younger generations to have that space to look at who they are as they're doing this work, potentially, you know, on themes that they didn't select themselves? Well, I think... You know, part of why I talk about Oaxaca as being such an important chapter in my life is not just the work and the people, but it was also building a competency and something that was successful that was my own and that was not because of my family. In a sense, I built my own identity, I built my own purpose, and I I built my own confidence in myself that I could do something meaningful for myself, not because of someone else or not with someone else's support, but really on my own. And I think the role of doing something like that for anyone growing up in a family like mine is really critical, especially if you're going to come back and work for the family at some point, because building your own competency, knowing that I can find a job tomorrow and I don't need to work for my family and I might do that. If I don't like working for them, I can leave and I can do that. And having that ability to know just in my heart that I can do this on my own. I don't need my family. And therefore, I'm choosing to come back and work within this framework of my family is a really important component. And I think many people do that in their 20s. And within our family and any family, I would encourage anyone to go out and figure out who you are, figure out what you're good at, figure out some skills that you wouldn't otherwise have, that then if and when you do circle back into the family entity, you are bringing a level of knowledge and expertise as one component, but also a confidence and a purpose and knowledge that you can opt in or opt out as a second really important component. So I think that is probably one of the most important things in terms of getting our next generation involved. I think in the 20s, for the most part, people want to get involved. They have less skills to offer and less clarity about who they are and what they're doing and what their purpose is. Obviously, everyone's different, so ages aren't a great barometer for that. But usually by kind of early 30s, um, those who've gone out and created careers or created passions or have found success in their own right really do have more to offer to the collective work as a family, but also the confidence to opt in and opt out as it makes sense. And I think that's a really important component as well. Most people who are working together as a family really value the family component and should. For us, that's a really important piece of it. But that collective versus individual ability to navigate in and out, who am I as a person? 
Who am I as a professional at this family board? Where does my identity overlap as a family member versus my own person? And who do I show up as at this board meeting or at this committee meeting is important. And I think the more self-aware, the more I know who I am as myself and what I am bringing, the better we can work as a collective. So as encouraging this with your family and with the number of family members that you have, how has this looked in terms of the work that you do with the Family Foundation? Can you give us an example of a project that family members have rallied around or particularly excited about so we can see how family members can align and then also to get to know a little bit of the projects that you're supporting through the foundation? Most of our programs are quite professionally run by program staff, and we have committees that people can sit on starting at the age of 25. And you can sit on the board starting at age 25. So even that 25 as a starting point means that, you know, there are some years to start to figure out who you are before you're brought in in a formal way. I think probably the most successful thing we do for our foundation and our family are what we used to call learning journeys. We've turned them more into planning retreats. So they go from learning to planning. But the idea is that whenever we are about to make a really big decision on anything, whether it's a primarily programmatic direction, but also sometimes in more managerial issues, we have a deep dive of learning where we bring in, if it's on an issue, we learn all about the issue. So let's say we're talking about clean energy issues in Texas. We would learn all about what is the state of affairs? What are the needs? Where's the possibility for the most impact? We often also hear from other funders. What are other funders doing? Where are the gaps that those funders see that we could fill? And then as a family, we make a decision together based on you know two to three days of deep learning. And I think those have been incredibly important. First, so that as a group, we're making an informed decision about any issue that we're about to make a decision about but also that we learn together as a family. It also means that at the dinner table, we're sitting around talking about these issues we care about that our foundation's working in. It means that we're all getting to a level of knowledge that means we can meaningfully participate. But I've also seen cousins, for example, we had one focused on sustainability and one of my young cousins who are younger, not so young, was in college at the time said, I'm going to go back to school and change my major to have a focus on sustainability because I just learned in these two days that that's something I want to do. And those sorts of things can have the learning. So no one was telling him to do that. No one was saying, this is what your career path needs to be. But by inspiring and learning together and understanding both why it's important to our family, we also always start with kind of a legacy component. So are there film clips of my grandfather or my grandmother talking about these issues or film clips of us at a previous board meeting talking about these issues and why they're important and then linking it into the learning of that particular retreat helps show that there's a legacy of valuing these issues and then getting everyone up to a level of knowledge that can then be very meaningful. So I think those are the most important things we do as a family to bring us together around these issues and help us all row in the same direction. And we have 
all sorts of programs. They're all focused in Texas. We have a program on land conservation, water conservation, clean energy, um, subsurface energy, which focuses on some of the issues around oil and gas extraction. And then we have some place-based work in Galveston as well. It's a wonderful example how you bring your family together to learn together and to make these decisions together. Many families look for ways to do this and sometimes struggle with it. So this peer learning component is really important that you are also sharing what your family does. And I imagine this is also through the giving pledge, a space where you're also sharing these stories and ideas and models. Yeah, I think learning together is incredibly powerful, but then learning from peers and with peers is also very powerful. So we take advantage of networks like Synergos and like others that bring peer families together to learn together, learn from one another. Some of my earliest learning happened with the Global Philanthropist Circle, talking to other families who are a generation ahead of us you know, asking, how did your family do this? How do you guys navigate it? Taking some of those lessons and applying it to our family. So I can't speak highly enough about both learning from other peers in the family component, but also in the issue area component, and then learning together as a family before you make a decision so that everyone's voice can also be heard. So just shifting a bit away, you have made a career in philanthropy. One thing I'm curious about asking you is, what would you say are the challenges philanthropy is facing today? I think it's been really remarkable to see the impact of the murder of George Floyd and the protests afterward and how quickly so much of philanthropy has really embraced and understood the role of racism and embedded racism, systemic racism in our society and the role of philanthropy in trying to reverse that. So I think the field as a whole has shifted. That's not to say that all or even most foundations have actually shifted or are doing it right. But I do think that's an important shift and the leaders as always will lead and others will start to follow. But I think recognizing that this privilege and this wealth was built on the shoulders of many who have suffered is a really important piece of what's going on in philanthropy, but also a massive struggle because, or challenge, I should say, because the nature of family foundations is the exact opposite of social equity. You know, it's a family of privilege making decisions on wealth, everything from continuing the wealth and continuing an endowment to who we should benefit, what issues we should benefit. So I think that's just an obvious challenge for philanthropy that I'm glad at least the field is asking those questions in a way it wasn't 10 years ago. But I think the solutions I wish would come a lot faster. And it's unclear what the solutions are, much less how to implement them or that they will be implemented by most philanthropies. So I think that's one challenge. A second massive challenge for philanthropy, I believe, is the polarization of not just America, but the entire world, although it's particularly acute in America, just seeing how disparate views are getting more deeply held and more extreme and a lack of clarity of what the role of philanthropy will do in helping to build a middle or build some sort of common ground 
but also actually philanthropy, I think in some ways, exacerbating it in certain senses. I think philanthropy on both sides has kind of built some of these embedded disparate perspectives. And now the challenge for philanthropy will be, can we keep our country together and can we build some sort of middle that we can bring those extremes back to the center a bit? And then of course, a third challenge for philanthropy is just the extreme disparities in wealth that are getting more and more extreme. Most foundations and wealthy families have gotten wealthier during the last few years and the poor have gotten poorer. And I I don't see how that disparity in wealth can get reversed without philanthropy being a major part of it. But of course, some of the innate challenges of that disparity of wealth is more and more philanthropy. And so it's it will be difficult for philanthropy to really address some of those inequities. And yet it very much needs to both because that is the mission of philanthropy for many, but also because if we don't, it will also, the social compact and the belief that wealth can be used for good is also being questioned as it should be. Yeah, these are really important issues that philanthropy is facing today. And there aren't easy answers, but we're seeing a lot of activity and shifts taking place. So it is promising. So for my final question, I'd like to ask you, how would you imagine the future, and the role of philanthropy? It's a very good question. I do think some of these trends around centering equity and recognizing privilege and recognizing that amassing huge amounts of wealth is exacerbating the problems in society. I think the recognition of those issues is the first step, which I feel like is becoming more mainstream and so my hope is that those will start to be addressed in a more meaningful way, in a quicker way to solve some of the world's most critical challenges. I think the way impact investing 10 or 15 years ago was really fringe and not mainstream, it's now becoming quite mainstream. I think most foundations if you're not doing it, you're behind the times. And same with most families with wealth of some sort of impact component in their investing. I think those sorts of shifts take time. And so I think the opportunity now is to, for philanthropy to respond to the challenges of the day and what's being highlighted as the challenges and risks of amassing wealth. I mean, I will note, obviously, the elephant in the room of climate change, I think, Philanthropy has to act now. It has to act quickly. We're not on track to address it. I think that if philanthropy doesn't really invest heavily in mitigating and now adapting and being more resilient in the face of climate change, all of these other issues will just get more and more exacerbated. So there are huge challenges ahead for the world, not just for philanthropy, but for the world. And my hope is that philanthropy will respond in a meaningful way to help the world solve these really difficult challenges. Yeah, these are big challenges. And also, hopefully, as we work together, we can accelerate and create larger impact as we work together in these spaces. So how can people learn more about the work that you're doing? Are there website links that you could share? Sure. So our foundation has a website, www.cgmf.org, Cynthia and George Mitchell Foundation.org. 
And then we also are pulling together a group of funders who are interested in funding climate change issues in Texas. So that's called Future Texas. We have a specific newsletter for those who are interested in climate and energy issues in Texas, other funders who are interested in learning how to have the most impact in Texas. So that is also on our website. You're welcome to email me. I'm always happy to share more. And yeah, through the Global Philanthropist Circle, I think is always a wonderful resource for people looking how to have impact. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Catherine, for the work that you're doing. Thank you for coming on and sharing your story and your examples for others to learn from. So I appreciate your time today. Thank you. Always happy to share and thank you for the great work you're doing. What I loved about this conversation with Catherine is how she and her family are learning together to take action together on sustainability and how her time working with farmers in Oaxaca laid the groundwork for her life's work to fight climate change.